Welcome to this week's episode of Seen and Heard, industry updates for the modern dairy family. I'm Darby Toth, a technical field services representative with Western United Dairies. And I'm Melissa Lima, the North Coast and Organic Field Services representative with Western United Dairies. And Darby, we are so excited to welcome our special guest today, Tiffany LaMandola of Blimling, who is Western United Dairies' new contract economist. Welcome, Tiffany. Good morning. Glad to be here. Thanks so much for joining us today. Um, Tiffany, we just wanted to give you a, a quick opportunity to introduce yourself back to our members because a lot of them know you from your work with Western about 10 years ago and, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, it has been a decade. Um, so I left Western United, yeah, back at back about 10 years ago, um, but I didn't really go very far. <laughs> um, stayed just east of Oakdale here in California and stayed working with California dairy producers to a large degree. Um, our company does work with you know com uh, folks along the entire supply chain, um, but my role and certainly my geography here has meant that a lot of my clients have been dairy producers. So working with a lot of the same folks, thankfully. So didn't um, didn't have to really say goodbye, which was great. Well, we're so excited to have you here. Um, and as we know, Annie has big shoes to fill, but I think you are a really great person to fill those shoes. And as you said, you know a lot about California dairy and also have a great relationship already with a lot of our members. So welcome back. And we're gonna, um, hopefully have you hang out with us here for this morning while we record and we'll hear the market update and hear a little bit more about the episode. We have a great episode today, Darby. Yeah, this is an exciting episode. We are going to have our market update with Tiffany. We sat down, you and I did, Melissa, to chat with Anya about all things political as we continue to approach the election. And then we also sat and just this morning got to chat with Jared Fernandez, and he shared a bit about his digester project, which is pretty exciting and a little bit unique. So kind of as we get started going through the episode, we'll jump right in with Tiffany for our market update. So it's been a really busy week uh, in the dairy markets. So not only with price action, but a couple big government reports that uh, dropped this week. So I thought I'd touch on those just quickly. Um, so first was the milk production report um, for September. And I would say it's surprised to the upside. Um, certainly talking with dairy producers, it felt like milk production was on solid footing. Uh, the numbers definitely showed that. So US up 2.3% um, and California up 3.2. We added about 5,000 cows uh, from August to September, and we're now about 33,000 head above uh, this time last year. So we've got a lot of production potential um, out there and certainly showed in the numbers. Uh, the next report was our cold storage report, kind of giving, you know, these are all in the rears, obviously, but um, kind of insight into some updated data. Nothing too earth shattering out of that report. Um, we did see a little larger uh, cheese drawdown um, which makes sense, right? Our cheese markets are extremely elevated. Um, we've saw some really good traction at retail as well as uh, through USDA food box programs. Um, and the report did show that we do still have plenty of bulk butter and storage. And obviously that market's been the one that's um, had a little hard time getting, getting going here. So really kind of data we probably would have ex expected uh, out of the cold storage report. 
Uh, heading over to the markets themselves, uh, cheese remains very elevated. Um, numbers we, you know, haven't seen for many, many years. Uh, blocks gained another five uh, cents and a quarter to, uh, this week, up to 277.25 today. And barrels really went for a run. We gained 25 cents. Um, obviously, probably working to correct the um, the basis between blocks and barrels. You know, historically, those have been about three cents, and we've been that really, really large divergence. Um, so barrels pushed to 245.50 this week. So both of those are going to have a role in uplifting USDA prices that go into pricing formulas. So good news on the cheese front. Um, you know, fresh cheddar is the currency in Chicago, 30-day-old um, uh, fresh cheddar, and that's the variety of cheese we're running a little tight on right now. Um, as I mentioned, uh, folks are familiar with that when they go to retail, buying lots of shreds and chunks in the cheddar variety and cooking with it. Um, and obviously through the government food box programs, another really big push there. Um, and until product is, you know, loose enough to show up in Chicago, we'll probably see these prices remain uh, elevated here over the near term. Um, one interesting tidbit in the cheese market is that uh, milk trucks started rolling to the new cheese plant in Michigan. We've probably heard of. It is a large scale plant. They're going to have a slow ramp up, um, be at full capacity by next spring. Um, that is a pretty big development that the industry has been uh, anticipating for quite a while. Uh, moving on to butter, uh, it's a market that's still struggling. You know, it's difficult to connect the dots given uh, really uh, stellar retail demand uh, for butter. Butter's flying off the shelves. We're now, now heading into the holidays. And even though the holidays might not look the same this year, I think people are still going to bake and, and cook. Uh, the problem is that what we have in inventory is bulk butter, not exactly in retail packages. And that's kind of what's moving uh, the bulk situation has been impacted by loss in food service demand. Um, we ended the week down on butter at 143.50, so we lost seven and a half cents for the week in the butter market. Uh, Non-fat, after a couple nice weeks of gains, we did reverse course a little bit this week. We lost four and a quarter cents down to 109.75, so we've lost a little steam. We are still really competitive in world markets on the non-fat um, front. But at the same time, buyers haven't really been super anxious or nervous enough to kind of push those prices up. So we've really been trading range bound there in non-fat for quite some time. And if I could just um, diverge a little bit and get listeners to kind of think past current markets and think, start thinking about 2021, I think now is the time. Um, there's enough uncertainty kind of brewing out there um, that I really would encourage everybody to give um, some good hard thought to some risk management options uh, for next year. You know, looks like we're going to have a lot of milk, uh, a lot of unknowns around the demand front still. Um, government, government intervention, we don't know what that's going to look like for 2021. Um, and so having some downside, um, you know, there's various programs out there. Uh, probably a good time to take a, a good hard look at those. So please reach out if you have any questions. Hi, I'm Jessica with PG&E. 811 is a free service to keep our community safe. Before you do any digging, PG&E will mark your gas and electric lines so you don't hit them. Call 811 before you dig. To learn more, visit pge.com safety. 
thank you again, Tiffany. And I think now we'll jump right into Darby and I's visit with Anya and a discussion about all things politics and elections in California. Welcome back to the show, Western United Dairy CEO, Anya Radaba. Thanks for being here today, Anya. Thanks for having me. Of course, we are here for a much anticipated electoral update. Um, so we have quite a few topics to cover today. As, as our members and listeners know, Western tries to be really on the pulse of what's going on in local, state, and national politics. And so we are glad to have you here today for a little political update. And first on the docket, uh, voter turnout. Thanks. I think, um, yeah, this is, and what we're about to go through here is just kind of a series of steps that our PAC board takes every time they meet to take the pulse of California and figure out how member money and member engagement is best spent. And so that's where really where I'm going to hit on some of the top key issues. Um, and I will remind members that our PAC meetings are open to all members. We are having a meeting on November 19th at the Fresno County Farm Bureau at noon. If you would like to come, I'll say it now and I'll say it again at the end. You are welcome. So um, regarding turnout, a voter turnout thus far on October 22nd has already been breaking records. Uh, over four and a half million Californians have already cast the ballots, uh, which is about one fifth of all ballots that have been sent out to registered voters. About three times as many Californians have voted compared to 2016. And major reasons uh, that the political analysts are attributing to this record-breaking turnout are number one, voter enthusiasm, and that applies to both sides or all sides, depending on your point of view. Uh, the second reason, and this is very consistent among uh, both Republicans and Democrats, is personal safety concerns. And then the last issue, which tends to be a little um, skewed towards California in particular, is that voters are seeking a sense of relief. And I think anyone listening to this podcast can probably relate to that sentiment. So one thing I'd like to kind of point out with respect to voter turnout, uh, that the, the, high return, the high rate of return ballots does not equivocate to a high turnout, at least not yet. Those are still figures that people are working on. We won't know that till far after the election, probably not till December, on whether or not this increased enthusiasm and increased number of early voters uh, coming out means a higher turnout. Uh, turnout's kind of everything when you're when you're really looking down at district by district, which we'll get into a little later. But uh, one of the things that the electorate is uh, definitely showing solid signs of is that the high, the high propensity voters are the ones that are making up a majority of the electorate so far. High propensity voters are people that are historically um, a little older on the spectrum. They're historically white and they do tend to be very reliable voters. And so they're seeing that as these early votes and ballots come in, that's what's making up a majority of them so far. So time will tell. We only got a few, less than two weeks left uh, to figure out what uh, the rest of it looks like. And Anya, just to kind of reiterate, the nature of this year's election is probably a big reason for the early voter turnout. You know, ballots are mailed out, early voting centers were open so that in places where people vote in person, they don't have to wait in crowded lines. So people are voting early, not necessarily meaning an exorbitant amount more people will be voting than in 2016. Yeah, the the um, 
the state of California has eliminated a lot of barriers. Um, that's what they would say uh, to voting. And so one of them was, of course, everyone that's registered to vote in California receives a mail-in ballot. That's never been done before. And so we're already looking at, if you were a statistician, um, you would you would be pulling your hair out because you can't, there's no other year to compare a year like this year to mm -hmm. uh, because of that raw fact. There's also, this is the first full election cycle that the new, the new DMV motor voter law um, is taking into effect. And so people that are coming of age, getting their driver's licenses are also that were registering to vote, um, you know, a year and a half ago when they were 16 are now all coming into um, the 18 year old category and casting their votes for the first time. So already we have statistically things that are just going to be measured in 2020 moving forward. Okay, great. All right. Well, now that we've kind of talked about voting and how things are looking to go this year, um, maybe we can talk a little bit about probably the proposition that I see the most traction for on my own personal social media, and that's Proposition 15. Yeah, I think that and as it relates to agriculture, this is certainly the one that's risen to the top of um, community expectations. It's also risen to the top of concerns. I could certainly give some updates on other propositions that are I would suggest even more heated than Prop 15. But right now with where we are in agriculture, this is this is definitely the one to watch with respect to how it's gonna impact our cost of production, how our property tax structure um, and our assessor rates are gonna change so much in the next few years. But right now the polling is, is right down the line and it is so close. I mean, the sweat is forming on everyone's brows. Uh, just yesterday, the poll, excuse me, this morning, the 22nd, the poll um, that PPIC has been running on this proposition is coming in 49% yes, 45% no, and 6% undecided. Each camp, the yes and no camp, is claiming premature favor for these polls. So like those in favor of Proposition 15 are saying, this is obviously, you know, what everybody wants. They're you know, the, the voters are seeing through the, the window dressing and the no camp is, is, is clearly claiming the opposite, that voters are sick of tax increases, that voters are very concerned about small businesses. Um, the endorsement of the NAACP uh, for the no side has also kind of rocked the vote in this, into this undecided camp. So watching that one very closely, I encourage our members to reach out uh, to our team if they have any remaining lingering questions about how they can get involved. Um, we found out a little bit late in the week last week, Melissa and I did, that it's it's getting pretty close to too late to put yard signs up. Um, but if you do have an opportunity to engage your local community about how harmful this proposition is to um, ag business owners, uh, please uh, reach out and we, we will give you as many talking points as we have. Yeah, I was happy to hear my mom lives in San Diego and she saw a no on Prop 15 commercial when she was watching the news in the morning. That's great. Well, and and to be fair, the a traditional media cycle begins after Labor Day. And so um, I even think it went a little bit slower than normal. But uh, so in a lot of the targeted media markets, which usually isn't the Valley, uh, so you've got LA and San Francisco, these ads have been really ferocious. But because Prop 15 is competing with 17 other propositions on the ballot, um, there is a massive just general disinterest to listening to political ads, period. Yeah, and, and 
17 other hotly contested there a lot of these propositions this year are equally as you mentioned contested and debated and i you know see stuff all day mail you know mailers and mm -hmm. commercials and pop-ups on the internet so definitely a lot of hot propositions um but it, I, you know, in good news, talking to a lot of my more moderate non-ag friends, they really want to know the effects of this, and they really have taken that into consideration. Well, and as an organization who works really hard to help dairies keep surviving in California and hopefully one day thrive, um, that's a conversation for another day. I think that there's there's good arguments on both sides. Um, if the state and the local communities want to get involved with local ag groups to talk about how, if, if they're concerned about, you know, equity and how they pay for um, services related to schools and parks and fire, I think that's a really healthy conversation to have, but it's much more productive at the local level to ensure that those local businesses are generating the right revenue and the right income and the right tax assessments to make sure that that community is a direct beneficiary as opposed to a top-down approach, which is what Prop 15 takes, where the state collects a lot of additional tax revenues and then tries to dole it out. I don't know about you, but I don't think that, you know, Fireball is going to see a tremendous amount of money from there. I don't think that communities right. like Escalon or, I mean, I could go down the list, Orangevale are going to see a lot of top-down benefits. And so that's why I encourage people to really take a hard look at uh, reevaluating their communities, which ag is a part of. And if we want to have a conversation about equity and paying fair shares, I think it's much more productive at the local level. Definitely. Well, after that exciting topic, um, <laughs> there's some other stuff on the ballot and I've actually um, completed mine yesterday and was proud to um, vote for our partner on the North Coast, Jim Wood. He's been a really great representative of our dairies, but Jim wasn't the only guy on the ballot in the California State House this year, Anya. So could you talk a little bit about how those elections are going, the, those state positions? Yeah, the California State House is, um, is looking to become an even deeper shade of blue than it already is. And I think that that is if if losing a majority and then a supermajority and then having to create a new word called a, a giga majority wasn't alarming enough. Um, we're now headed towards uh, a moment where I think they're going to have to come up with a new majority word. You know, ultra trillion bazillion majority. I made that up. Um, but Democrats now hold 29 seats in the state Senate compared to Republicans 11 seats. And because of the enthusiasm and a chance to vote uh, for President Trump to perhaps go back to private life, uh, the spillover effect uh, would raise the Democratic total to what's looking closer to 35 seats in the Senate and five for the Republicans. And the effects are very stark on the other side of the State House and the Assembly. They're not quite as stark, but um, we are looking at quite a few toss-up. Down the, down the middle nail biters for a few Republicans as the focus of a blue wave keeps building. And there is some reciprocal effects in the congressional level, which we're not covering today very much, but um, this is uh, a lot of our consumers in California, and that's important to remember. This isn't being driven um, completely in isolation, but the consumers, the people that consume our dairy products, 
are the ones casting these ballots and they're really looking for a direction that may be fundamentally different to the National Republican Party. And they're saying that very loudly. So we are looking at a very deep shade of blue and that will make some policy balance discussions very challenging in the face of a crippling budget deficit in the face of massive and out of control forest fires. Uh, we have a lot of ground to cover in 2021 that was put on hold because of the pandemic related issues. Um, so I am concerned. I, in, I really invite our members to be involved. Uh, this is something that Western takes very seriously. Your board at Western spends a tremendous amount of time every month and at every PAC meeting trying to figure out how we can create and build and keep what we call a dairy majority. And that means um, finding folks that will work with us on that policy balance. And so seeing this really deep shade of blue get even bluer, um, it, 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 is, it means new challenges for, for our organization and for our members moving forward. So I think that, um, you know, the battles, just to kind of leave this note, um, and it's not all bad, right? We have to figure out where and who are better allies and partners. But the battles going on in the state house are largely between progressive Democrats versus moderate Democrats. And so that dynamic, um, there, there are opportunities there for us, but we have to read the tea leaves correctly and we have to really understand and we rely heavily on the board's direct engagement with how they feel is kind of a bread and butter issue for dairy. And so those are things that we will cover. I will mention it again uh, in our PAC meeting on November 19th. It's a Thursday at noon at the Fresno Farm Bureau, which I invite all our members to RSVP uh, and let me know if you'd like to come. Well, thanks so much for the update, Anya. We really appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast with us this week. My pleasure. Thank you. Yosemite Farm Credit is the farmer's choice for agriculture financing. As a farmer-owned cooperative, we are dedicated to serving our neighbors in the agriculture community with financial products and services tailored to your operation and backed with the relationship you can trust. Whether you're purchasing real estate, making improvements to the dairy, or wanting to purchase or lease equipment, we're here to help our members prosper. Visit our website at yosemitefarmcredit.com to find a branch location nearest you. Well, thanks again for taking time to be on with us, Anya. It's always good to chat, especially about all things political. And now we're going to head over to Melissa's and I's interview with Jared Fernandez about his digester project. We're here with uh, one of our members, dairyman Jared Fernandez, and we're going to talk to Jared about his digester project today. So thanks for taking some time out of your day to be with us today, Jared. No problem. Pleasure to be here. So kind of as we get started, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your dairy, where you're located and all of the, that kind of information? Okay, yeah. Uh, Jared Fernandez, I, I'm in a partnership with uh, my brother Josh and Frank. Uh, we have two dairy farms located in Pixley and in Tipton, California. And we are third generation to dairy and um, we milk about 4,300 cows on the two farms and we farm about 2,000 acres of farm ground. 
So how did you begin to first contemplate or how were you approached about or started to think about building a digester on one of your dairies? So uh, we were kind of in the right place, right time. Um, you know, we, I was actually a little scared and hesitant <laughs> about digesters. Uh, we, the farm, the, the, our main farm we're, that we're on, we purchased in 2014 and it has a, um, a failed digester built on it when we purchased it. So seeing this uh, dinosaur of a digester that did not work uh, scared me away from them a little bit. But we were approached by a cluster project that was being funded through Calgren Renewable Fuels, and um, it was it was an exciting opportunity because we 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 uh, were able to get into this um, this in this system without a lot of risk because they partnered with us, and I believe there's 13 dairies on the cluster where um, we have. Uh, they basically. Uh, built the digesters, they own the digesters. We just have manure supply agreements. And so it was a way for us to get our feet into this industry without uh, all the risk associated with it. So you mentioned that you're part of the Calgreen cluster and um, who did you work with to build your digester? And what was the process like of, of kind of getting that started after they approached you and how did that start to roll from there? So uh, Calgreen Renewable Fuels hired Moss Energy as the designer and uh, basically construction manager and um, worked us through there was it was quite a bit of a process to to get the contracts in place to be honest with you we you know it's a uh, it's a little bit scary when you have a uh, easement onto your property to build something so you so it, re it required lots of back and forth reviewing by attorneys and um, even then even after being reviewed by attorneys it still was a little scary signing on it, but it, it kind of gave me a little um, comfort when uh, my neighbors started signing on. So I, after talking to a few of my neighbors who had signed on, um, we, we went through that process. And then it was a matter of uh, designing the digester with our facility. And um, that's where it took a lot of input back and forth because uh, we bed with, on one of our farms, our larger farm, we bed with sand and we're big fans of sand bedding. And for the most part, you do not want sand with a digester. And so they were trying to talk us out of converting from sand. And we said that we'd rather do, uh, do something so that we could do both. And uh, that's where I, I actually, uh, very happy that we worked with Moss because he was open to the idea. We shared in some of that cost because it was a little bit above and beyond, but uh, we had to install all new sand separation system. And, um, and that allowed us to continue to use sand as a bedding and, uh, and, and improve our dairy with a, a lot better sand separation system and, in, and getting a digester. Yeah, I've been out to your place to see that, that lane that you guys have and it's pretty interesting to see the combination of both those things working for the digester. Yeah, it, it was a challenge too, because we had a, uh, we basically had to relocate. Uh, we With sand, you want to try to use gravity as much as possible. You don't want to lift or pump water. And so because of the relocation of the digester, we had to relocate uh, the, the final ending spot of all of our flush water. So, it was a challenge to operate at the same time and to put in this whole new 
uh, flush drainage system. And it, what made it even more challenging is that um, by the time we got all the signatures and all the product in place, we started construction right around rainy season. So we were dealing with a lot of, um, the dairy was quite a mess for a while with a lot of open trenches um, and, and trying to utilize the old system at the same time. But in the long run, the old system was not very well designed. It was, uh, it was multiple sand traps. So it had, um, it had a, a sand trap for each corral or each pen. And it required lots of labor keeping it clean. There was just so many of them to clean and they were kind of a messy design. And this new system is one centralized sand trap and we're doing a way better job of, of separating the sand. And we have a lot cleaner sand. Uh, it just, there's very little organic matter in it. And just because of that, we've, uh, we've lowered our somatic cell about 50,000 and we've gotten rid of a few um, contagious mastitis that we were fighting before um, that has just gone away with this new sand trap design. So it's, it's turned out really well. It's exciting to hear about some co-benefits that came along with, with the digester that can kind of help you on the other side of things at the dairy. Yeah, that's kind of what really turned us on to this project. You know, at the time we were a little nervous about it, but we looked at as the, the ability to partner with someone, reduce risk and improve and improve our layout and our facility. And we think it raise value in our farm. And, you know, let's, let's face it, uh, digesters are gonna be the future. And it kind of gives us, you know, it gives us a license to operate. So now that you've kind of been rolling with things with your digester for a while, what, what year was your project completed? So we, uh, we have, like I said, we have two digesters in this cluster our first one was the second uh, i believe no the third farm to to uh, fire up in the in the cluster and we uh, de this december will be two years so we'll be two years and then the other farm fired up six months after and i, I don't speak much about the other farm but it's actually uh, more of your typical dairy farm manure bedded dairy but what's unique about it is uh, we actually rent this farm and um, it was, the farm needed some upgrades. And it was one of those type, typical situations where you have a landlord and a, and a tenant and trying to figure out how you're gonna upgrade a facility, who's gonna pay for it, and are we gonna raise rent? And we were having those discussions and we just, um, by us partnering with uh, Calgren on this, we're able to achieve that. We were able to uh, uh, upgrade the dairy with a brand new mechanical separator and um, and we're we're sharing in the the revenues that we're generating from the um, manure supply agreement. So it was a win 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 there, and um, and it worked out because the uh, cluster uh, pipeline went right through the farm. So it was just right there, easy to attach. Um, now that you yeah you've kind of had these going for a while now, what is the kind of upkeep? Is there upkeep required of you? Does Moss take care of that? How does the current operation and management of the project work? So I will tell you that there was a, quite a bit of dialing in. You know there was uh, and not so much from the digester, more about the flow, the new equipment. You know um, just just getting everything to dial in without problems and and I will I will say we did have a, our fair share of some challenges uh, just getting pump sized right getting sensors set up right understanding the system and I will say it took us probably six to seven months of just 
getting the system in place and dialed in. Now that everything's dialed in, it's, it's working great. Uh, the maintenance, the, that's the beauty of it. Uh, Moss maintains the system. Um, there's someone here on our farm, I believe daily checking, checking it, maintaining it, but it's not my responsibility. My only responsibility is to maintain the maintenance on the separator and, and, and anything that's bringing the product to the digester. But once it's there, it's, uh, it's hands off for me. And I like that part of it. <laughs> One less thing to worry about, right? Yeah. And that's what, you know, we're, 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 we want to make milk. We want to work with cows. We really don't want to be in the energy industry, but um, having a partner makes it a lot easier. Yeah. Well, kind of as we wrap up here, it's it's been a tough year all around for everybody. And we know the industry is cyclical in itself. And is there anything you'd like to share or say to kind of just fellow dairymen and, and listeners out there as we wrap up quite an interesting year? Well, I will say, I, I tell people this, that um, it's, it's fun to have some excitement in the industry. You know, sometimes we get bogged down with regulations and, and bad milk prices or labor situations, but I, I really feel that this digester is kind of a, an opportunity for us. And it's kind of exciting to see um, a way that we can help with the regulations. We can improve the environment and at the same time, generate another revenue source that we can uh, have another way of making some money so that we can continue to operate. And so I, I, I actually look at it as it's good times. and I, I enjoy it. Um, and I know we did get, um, we did have a partner in ours operations. But I think that um, there's a lot of guys that are looking at doing these on their own. And of course, now with us learning how these things operate, it's going to make it a little easier to make those decisions. And there's probably an opportunity to make more money. You know, our, with ours being the way it is and being one of the first ones, there's not a huge income source, but it, there is an income source for us. And so it's, it's exciting to, to have that. We appreciate the optimism and the excitement. We're always looking for that. And thanks again for taking some time to be on today to talk to us. We really appreciate it. No problem. Enjoyed it. Thank you. A huge thank you today to our contributors, Tiffany, Anya, and Jared for making this week's episode possible. Also a huge thanks to all of our sponsors, especially PG&E and Yosemite Farm Credit. If you'd like information on sponsorship or how to advertise on our podcast, please reach out to our office. It's info at wudairies.com, or you can give us a call 209-527-6453. Questions, comments, and content requests for the podcast can be directed to wud.pod at gmail.com. You can always reach out to me. I'm M-L-E-M-A at wudairies.com. And I'm Darby, D-A-R-B-Y at wudairies.com. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite platforms. And thank you again for taking time to listen. Great. Thanks, everybody. While West United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, Please know that views expressed on Seen and Heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the Western United Dairies Board of Directors. Thank you to Western United Dairies' generous 2020 business sponsors. Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, Farm Credit Alliance, FNR Ag Services, 
Moss Energy Works, Bennett Environmental, PG&E, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at wudairies.com. That's info at wudairies.com.